Welcome to Industry Insights, the EFM podcast presented by the European Film Market of the Berlinale. You might be listening to this at the Berlinale Festival itself, but Industry Insights is a year-round podcast spotlighting topical and trend-setting issues to create a compass for the year ahead. Industry Insights is produced in cooperation with Goethe Institut and co-funded by Creative Europe Media. My name is Johanna Koljonen. I'm a film industry analyst based in Sweden. One of my recurring projects is writing the annual Nostradamus report on the near future of the screen industries, which is commissioned by the Göteborg Film Festival. And today's episode is a collaboration between the Nostradamus project and the EFM, allowing us the opportunity to highlight another exciting project we've been proud to support, a project of self-reflection and analysis within the children's film industry. This includes a report, the Noise Report, this year titled Nurturing Nordic Children's Film in a Changing Media Landscape, that was written by me and publicly presented in Berlin just a few days ago, or just a few days into the future, as we're recording this. Between the lines in that report, you can find a claim that in this podcast episode I will make out loud right now. Children's film is the answer, or part of the answer, to almost all of the film industry's problems. Around this bold claim, we'll talk today about films for children, about making them, about screening them at festivals, and about the wider culture they're part of. My guests today are Mariella Harpelund Jensen and Linda Hambeck. Let me start by introducing you. So Mariella is a director and screenwriter of TV series, documentaries and short films, typically for children. She's also head of program at the Booster Film Festival in Copenhagen. And she also leads the industry analysis work of the Noise Network that we'll hear more about shortly. Welcome again, Mariella. That sounded about right, right? Yes. And my second guest today represents the feature filmmakers themselves. Linda Hambeck is a director and producer at her own shingle, Lee Film, working mainly with animated films for children. Her highly recognized feature, Gordon and Paddy, premiered in competition at Berlinale Generation in 2018. And her second feature, The Ape Star, had its international premiere at Annecy International Animation Film Festival in 2021. It also got nominated for Best Animated Feature at the European Film Awards. She is the recipient of the Swedish Guldspira Award for Outstanding Achievements in Children's Film. Welcome, Linda. So I'm going to start uh, with a question that may sound like a provocation, especially given your CV, Linda. Why, uh, why is the status of children's filmmakers so low within the film industry? I guess I'm asking kind of why aren't you more famous given your achievements? Uh, I think it's because of it has a culture that it has always been there, that the, the children culture for a literature or theater or whatever doesn't really matter. Those, uh, it doesn't count in one way. And I think it's uh, very strange. And I think it's um, maybe those who also love to do uh, culture for children, they don't uh, are maybe not so uh, competing in one way uh, because of we know the situation. It's just because of you love, you know, it's uh, it's my way really of uh, how to communicate is, is it just happens to be through children, with children. <laughs> and, it, and it's not really what I am uh, specifically, it, what I was, um, it's just one way of doing art. Some people do sculptures, some people do, you know, uh, paint, some people do filmmaking. And my target group just happens to be children. And I... I really love that but i think it's a uh it has been it, it's a tradition that where it's a stupid tradition but it has been a tradition that children and culture doesn't count as much as uh, uh, culture for grown-ups and uh, it's very sad what's uh, what's your take on this mariella mm, i think it's also about the money i think that traditionally when there was a lot of live action films these films didn't have the same kind of budgets as the ones for adults. So if you are a director and you want to have a good life as a director, going into children's film would mean that you wouldn't earn so much. The way uh, a lot of these films were shot were like family film sequels. 
where um, you also had to commit to a, a whole series of films, even though they were not maybe regarded so highly in an artistic view. So you would also be a little maybe as a director or a producer afraid to be like, I'm this kind of director or this kind of producer. I know that uh, animation film is much more expensive, but still I feel like um, it's really about the money, I think. When we see in Denmark, where I come from, when we see uh, celebrated uh, directors going into children's film, we only see them do it once and then they leave again. <laughs> so we don't see that many uh, highly respected award-winning directors uh, moving from adult to children, which is, uh, I think, because you get kind of caught in it. So it's an interesting paradox. Uh, in an earlier episode last year of, of, of this podcast, actually two episodes talking about younger audiences, uh, a lot of the focus then was on Gen Z. And now, you know, the, the Gen Z now is about maybe 14, 15 year olds to maybe 26, 27 year olds thereabout. And, and the traditional film industry has really struggled with this audience. But behind them comes Generation Alpha. So basically the people who are children today. And right now, we have them. Like we as an industry, we've, we've got them. They are in the cinemas. Uh, the films that are really working are the big are the big family films. They're working really well in cinemas. And th this is why I find this such a paradox that some of the best box office topping films and some very award-winning films like yours, Linda, are, are just not even seen or discussed within the industry as a sort of clue for what we could be doing or that this thought that this audience will grow up and become the audience for art house films and mainstream films in just a few years. So, so that's kind of my, uh, my concern. Now, Booster is the biggest film festival for kids and youth in the Nordics. I looked this up to make sure I wasn't making it up. It's surprisingly little known, even within Denmark, uh, Mariela. Yes. Why is that? Well, I think that the film festival work for children is mainly something that the teachers, the local teachers know about. It's not a big tradition in Denmark for families to attend our festival. We're working on that and we're raising audience numbers, but it's uh, difficult. And the tradition has been for a long time that it's a school film festival. What we struggle with as, as film festivals is very different from the Berlinale where people all over the world travel to the festival and enjoy all the new films. The, the children don't travel so freely. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so children's film festivals tend to be more local. That's right. Yeah. So that also makes them less famous. So I also here at the top, I just wanted to ask you, Mariela, what is the noise network? The Noise Network is a collaboration between the five biggest uh, Nordic festivals for children. So it's Booth in Malmö, which is a, a very old uh, children's film festival, absolutely wonderful place. Then there's an even older one in Olo in the north of Finland. And then there is a Barney Film Festival in Norway. And then there is now a children's part of the Reykjavik uh, International Film Festival in Iceland. So we are working together all year, doing all kinds of activities. And could you just say a few words of this sort of industry analysis work that, that you guys are doing together? Well, I think that all of us know that uh, things have changed since the festivals were established. Uh, some of us are, are 40 years old, some are 25. So uh, we have to be in contact and share what we experience and what we see in regard to funding, audiences, trends in the films, whatever, because I mean, I'm the only children's film festival programmer in Denmark, so I need colleagues and I found some wonderful colleagues in the Nordics. That's great. So uh, I guess that's a, a great place to ch start is these changes then. Linda, during the time that you've worked in, in children's film, how has this field changed? I think it's, uh, I mean, the whole film industry for the moment goes into, I mean, have been very diverse. One, one way is uh, like the pure entertainment industry, which is the blockbusters and the IPs and so on. And that's also when I, uh, when I heard you guys 
speak before is that a lot of the children uh, children films now is purely due to entertain and i think that's like the the former they it comparable with you know with other like formats as uh, like uh, in sweden we have something called melody festival and we have like purely entertainment things but i it's think the, that our local eurovision song contest it, that exactly, has been exactly. a months long process of yes. yeah family and entertainment I think And I think, I mean, that's a good thing too, but I think also that film really has some other importance to do and that could share, you know, culture values, could share our thoughts, our deep, you know, uh, what we hide from, what we dream for and, and other things that is really, really important and can be explored into the youth as well. And I, so, and I think it's really important then for the film festivals and for... Uh, for all like uh, school cinema and so on to be broader in because the entertainment you can just you know get onto the streamers you can get it anywhere all over the place all the time because everybody knows that that's a huge market group and those are the ips and those are those kind of stories and those of course they they are really good as well so i'm not against that at all i think that entertainment is good but that's a, like a different genre and then we have the the all the dramas the art house the art house cinema that is a really what i think uh could change someone's world and i think though and that's what art is all about and that's our industry's biggest issue i think because Even if for the features for, you know, the adult target group, that's also like that you have the art house cinema and you have the entertainment section, which is like uh, Tom Cruise and so on, you know, with all these IPs. Yes. Yeah. But at the same time, ironically, uh, films like yours, which I would consider to be art house films, yes. they are also quite entertaining as they kind of need to be for an audience that that doesn't have huge attention span uh, yes. like like relatively young children do and and so for that's one of the reasons why i say i think children's film may be on to the answers yeah. that that the that art house film sometimes is struggling a little bit uh, with with engaging narratively the audience. Yeah. I heard this wonderful conversation just out of Göteborg between Ruben Östlund, the director, and, and Thierry Fremont, uh, who programmed the Cannes Film Festival. And Thierry said very sweetly that, well, in France, we, we like this aesthetic of these narratively slow movies, or as some people call them, boring films. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And he said, not every film needs to be told in the same way. And mm. I thought, yes, that is true. Yeah. But sometimes art house film for grown up could learn a little bit about engagement from the younger, from storytelling yes, for the younger yes. audience. And I think I it's feel. it's just you know it's it's a matter of taste. I think the most important thing uh, to, to be growing up as a kid, you need to have the to be exposed to the whole palette of all kinds of genres of film. And now it's very you know. Uh, Now everybody's so, you know, um, afraid of not to get the audience. So it's very, you know, uh, and the, the financing, they all, you know, are very afraid. And then there's easier to go ahead with an IP well recognized because then they know that we, they will have a, like an upfront opportunity to have that kind of audience. But I think it's like we have to struggle to get those uh The, the other sort as well, because it's to, to be able to offer this broader palette of, of different voices, of different, you know, of way of, of telling art and storytelling. I think. So, Mariella, this is echoed in your, uh, in what, what's changed from a programming perspective. I mean, obviously, you're a filmmaker as well. So, so what do you see has changed? I looked up the numbers, and actually, we still, in, in, in 2005, we sold. 12 million tickets in the Danish cinemas. And and last year we sold 10 million tickets. So it's not like the market is going down. People are still going to the cinemas. I mean, this is not a purely children's film, but people are still going, but there are not so many big children's films among the top 10 anymore. And I was thinking about the, the time where Pixar was like revolutionizing animation. And uh, the Toy Story 1 film came out and we were all so happy that something new happened with Disney. And then it turned into this uh, 3D machine and now everybody is doing these films. So I think that many things have changed 
I think that now a lot of the children's film directors are really considering going into animation. We don't see the live action family films so much anymore because the ones that really sell tickets are animated. And in Denmark, we have this special, a little bit weird genre with these funny old men kind of joke movies for, for families, animation. So I think that was not the case uh, 25 years ago. But I think that Pixar changed a lot. And then, of course, the animation channel changed. And then came the iPhone and the iPad. And uh, I worked at public television in Denmark. Then came Disney Channel and changed everything. So we've been going through these. First came the children's channels, uh, cascading the the audiences out to the to the big broadcasters, and then came streaming, and then came maybe cheaper animation because of Pixar. So it's hard to uh, follow that trail as smaller local industries. It's also interesting about Pixar that they developed to an artistically really interesting place, I feel, where, where filmmakers, like really strong creatives, were able to make these often culturally really specific, very, very personal films. And that hasn't quite, quite worked in the marketplace, or at least that's how Wall Street is reading it. So it looks like Disney is kind of backing away towards safer bets and sequels now, which is such a shame. But that also means that the sort of, even Pixar got kind of too art housey for its own good. Um And those films are so beloved and have massive audiences and actually kind of demonstrate that the kinds of films that Linda is talking about really do have a market. It's just not the kind of market that, you know, billion dollar market that Disney would like to to score. So the filmmakers that I heard from while working on the Noise Report really saw uh, a change, especially in in maybe the last five years, that it was generally getting much harder to get funded. And in particularly, if if the films are not based on really strong, like really famous existing IP. Do, is that, like as a festival programmer, do you see that there? And do you recognize this, Linda? Maybe let's start with you, Linda, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, it's really tougher now. And uh, actually, this last, uh, after COVID, I think it has been very much uh, tougher to get funding because it's... Uh, Uh, also now when the streaming industry are going down and uh, the tech money is like only half of their value and then there is like uh, the whole film industry is really uh, on the X for the moment. Uh, yes, so I think it's really, uh, it's more struggling now, but I think also that you need to, uh, you can only do what you do as a filmmaker. So if you don't, if you like some certain things, then you, you're just struggling and then you, but you have to struggle for many longer times <laughs> than to when you know it's, uh, you can go into production. I really hope that the industry also understand that it needs different titles and to also to have actually for in Sweden, we have, you know, the state is funding our film industry. Then it's also important to understand that why should they only give money to IPs that are really, I mean, it's more like, you know, giving money to the very commercial that can stand on their own itself. So I think it's also the variety has to be, we have to fight for that to 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 have different titles. Mariella, let me rephrase the question for you specifically as a festival program, because I know you see so much, maybe everything. Are there art house type films, festival type films for children that are so good and so engaging that they could break out if they were given the opportunity? Or are we also missing a type of film that is needed? You're nodding, so that's good. I think there are some very, very wonderful and beautiful and almost magical films out there. And I'm so surprised that people don't want to see them or we don't, uh, we don't communicate that they are there. I'm surprised that a film like Ernest and Celestine, uh, the latest one, it's a beautiful, beautiful film. It, it's, uh, it's well made. It can work in all kinds of cultures and it doesn't really come out anywhere. 
and it's sad. And we have a film like Comedy Queen, a wonderful live action film from Sweden. It actually also won the Crystal Bear, so it should get the best push in the world. But it's not even in theatrical distribution in Denmark. So it's it's really strange that we see these beautiful films and they don't the distributors don't get it and the cinemas don't get it and they don't get out there. But I have to say that we have been so traditionally we have only be counting cinema the distribution. But I think a lot of like Comedy Queen, for instance, a lot of people will see it on TV or on streamer. And I think that we really should count for all the people that actually see all these films. In all, it doesn't matter if they see it on the you know on their iPhone or on on their TV or because I think it's it's it it is a little bit conservative to only think about the, the movie theaters because I think it's also important to all the, the things that we do, uh, that we make uh, for an audience, if they, I mean, the, the audience has actually, the, the, te- the technique now has changed forever. We will not go to the cinema so much as we did before because people have, people will go on a concert instead. They will go on, you know, they have other things. They will go on a soccer game and so on. And I think that's something that we do have to adjust to. And I also think but the importance is that they still consume a lot of like great quality dramas, great quality, you know. And I think that's also in in front of the you know financing and to all that you just see the whole audience that will that will actually see your film. And I think that's so important to think about because I think as for instance like Comedy Queen, I think it's actually now it, it may be on Netflix now. So then it will reach out to a big audience. Uh, I don't know about Netflix, but, but I, I don't know if it's there, but it, it's actually on a streamer. And I think then a lot of people will pick it up at different things. And, and that's uh, that's for us, all of us, how we uh, consume, I think, uh, you know, drama, content, comedy and so, so on. So this is at least like two or three kind of different things, but they are all interrelated. One is that, of course, the, the cinema window we used to be blind and only, only think about that part of the life cycle because that's where the money was made, essentially. And also that used to be so clear and to some degree still is that that window determines how it's going to do in the later windows. But that for this type of film, that isn't necessarily true. So already we're seeing that there are these different paths. And then there's a second question about films that we think could have this sort of also theatrical potential that don't get seen. So there is something that connects back to sort of my question at the beginning, like why... Don't do this film have low status within the industry, uh, because I think maybe that like the the theatrical exhibitors and the distributors maybe they are not engaging with with the potential the market potential of those films in the same serious way that they would with another type of festival winner that they do you know they think a lot about how do we connect the Ruben Östlund movie with the Swedish public but maybe they don't think so much about how we connect comedy queen with the Swedish public so that's also there um I don't know I'm so sure there's a third perspective yeah and I think it's about this diversity now that one thing to go to the cinema either you want to be totally entertained or and then you will see like Barbie or something, and then or you will see a, a super art house film. But those in the middle, those films you watch on other platforms, and I think that's the 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 take of how people want to spend their money, and and that's something that we have to work with and to see how we want to challenge that form if we can get the audience back again, or if they should stay and 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 the other yeah we will just adjust to that that are the rhythm of how you how you consume your all the culture. Yeah, that was the third thing I was thinking of, actually. Yeah, cinemas, because I think you're entirely right. And there is also, there are studies that support this, that the competition of the cinemas isn't streaming or television at home. It's not in the living room. It is, as you say, soccer games and concerts and other things that you're doing away from home. And and you're probably right that, that then it's a very specific type of experience we're looking for. And probably that is why the family films are working so well, A, because many of them are wonderful, but also B, because that's something that you can do as, a, as an event with with children of varied ages, which is difficult to find something that would work for everybody uh, otherwise. But but at the same time, as we clearly have to adjust to a, another media landscape and f- and to other business models where you can't, the funding can't rely on a big box office for every type of film. At the same time, we all 
need and want the cinema experience and the theatrical experience to continue because it's an important part of film culture. And I I think it will remain an important part of film culture, even though the relative importance, you know, like I, I think people listen to more opera music in the home than at the opera, but the opera, the existence of the opera houses is also still quite important. So then we need to create a children's film culture that is sustainable and that can live and is financially sustainable in theaters as well. Mariela, how do we do that? Which films work? Which which children's films work in cinemas? Well, there are the party films, like uh, the the three Bruse, the three uh, goats going to the, the over the bridge with the troll under it. It's a uh, it's in the cinemas now in Denmark. It's like a party film for tweens, I would say, and their younger siblings. I'm sure it will. I mean, it's like going to a party in the cinema. <laughs> we have uh, party films, then we have uh, romantic films. Uh, for for the young uh, the, the young audiences where they get to know how to feel and be in love and the feelings are stronger in the cinema space and then we see uh, more and more um, young uh, uh, shorter titles for the very youngest of the audience um, I I don't know if you can say Peppa Pig is a title but they have this compilation of of the uh, of Peppa Pig uh, uh, episodes where they're screening it in in the cinemas now is to celebrate uh, Peppa's uh, 20 years birthday, and uh, then you have only 60 minutes in the in the cinema and you're allowed to sing and dance and and people bring the they're very young children, and I think that these are some of the ways that we can uh, keep the space alive, but also because it's so funny, it's like having a party with a lot of people you don't know. <laughs> but at the same time, then, your job involves screening often art house type films for young audiences. So assuming you've gotten them to show up or their school is possibly forcing them to show up, how do you make that screening magical? How do you create the space where where a child who maybe hasn't been exposed to this type of storytelling before understands how to be in that room and how to open themselves to the film? I actually, for the youngest audience, we have kindergarten. So sometimes we have children all the way down to to three years of age going into the cinema for the first time. So I actually, we do a presentation telling them that the light will go down. Don't be afraid. Nobody <laughs> is next to you, let you know. Uh, hold their hand if you get afraid and... If you want, you have to go to the to the restroom. You can ask one of the adults, so don't be afraid. And um, and they and then we talk to them after the screenings about did they like it? Um, and they are very enthusiastic because it's it's exciting because the the screen is really big for them. So and and um, we also turn down the sound a little bit because they have good ears. So you can't have too loud a sound. So very nerdy job I have because we're catering for so many different target groups. I mean, so for the teenagers, we don't ask that we don't invite so many guests because they don't like asking too many questions. A filmmaker guest, you mean? Yeah, we huh. don't we yeah. don't do that so much because uh, they don't they get nervous. And uh, so sometimes we do like a diary workshop where they can do something on their phone reacting to the film they saw and maybe just show the color of their iPhone to all of us. What color was the film in their mind? Or I mean, more like where they are not exposing who they are in the big room with all these people that they don't know. Because if you're 13 years old, that is like the worst. Then That's so terrifying, yes. Yeah. So, but then it's so different. So then for an eight-year-old, you'd have to do something else again. They like, they like uh, dancing or interacting with somebody. So we have like adventure games in the room. <laughs> we sometimes even throw with balls and all kinds, fighting aliens. And, and they really <laughs> like that. So it's 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 very uh, different target groups and they have different needs. But what I see is that, and the parents, of course, have other needs. But what I see is that everybody is enjoying it very much. When we work with them, 
And according to their age, it really works. It's a good space to have fun. Uh, Linda, I just saw the Vem movies, the Stina Virsen animations. You produced them, right? They're, uh, uh, yes, and I also directed together with this. Wonderful. We just uh, will uh, be in the competition now in Boof in a couple of weeks, yes. So, so we will have a new... And what are the yes. target audience for, for that? Oh, they are this young. Uh, I was so great to hear you, Marielle, because we we uh, we always ask our because they are three to five is our target group, and and we always ask who's at the cinema for the very first time, and then sometimes we get these small hands up in the air, and we feel so it's such a you know you feel that this is the first time, and hopefully uh, they will enjoy it. And and as you say, I think that the cinema theater, I've been actually going very much on the cinema the last uh, weeks, uh, and, and it has been all filled up in the cinemas uh, in Sweden now. So, and also the art house and also broader films. And and it has been fantastic because you you kind of get the interactive things of just being around uh, many people in the cinema and you enjoy and you laugh at things and you also get annoyed of someone is you know is uh, it's uh, uh, having too much chips in their mouth and it's like <laughs> you know like this but also the the feeling of that you are together in a cinema and also seeing something you know at the same time and and get exposure to that it's some if it, it's a fantastic thing to be an audience so, so I think it's I mean as you say these great things you do with your uh, audience at Booster it's uh, it's really that's what we have to aim for because I think all uh, people love that you know and it sounds great to have these diaries and and all these uh, kind of uh, your Q&A's if you're smaller and, and so on and they sometimes you know the youngest one will ask you why didn't they eat, uh, I mean, in Gordon and Padre, they had cookies. And they were like, why didn't they eat hot dogs? <laughs> you know, and, and it's just, I love it mm-hmm. because it's just how they think. And, and uh, you know, when you are a kid, you're, you, you don't think ever that this is wrong to ask. The, you know, all, you know, if you, you, the, the teenager and the adults, they were like, oh, you can't ask that because that may, would make me look stupid. But uh, kids are the, perfect ones because they are just you know sprudling with the, all these kind of uh, you know questions so here and that's why you love that audience so here yes. we have this audience and we know that there are films for them that are wonderful and also that actually perform yes. really well in theaters like you can start yeah. in the three to five year olds uh, you know in Sweden you would start them for perhaps on, on yeah. these uh, Sinovirsen films and then you would continue them on the Bamse and you'll go go up through you know animations and you'll go up through the family adventure films that are are, are performing really well also live action now in, in Sweden and are being fun and, and entertaining and then something happens. And so the strange thing is that while the theatrical in particular in the Nordics uh, in, in Sweden is is doing quite poorly, the, the, the younger audiences are doing great. We have them. We have the films. We have the film-going culture. How do we keep that? And the other thing that's happening at the backside, the, the other side that we've, we learned in, in working on this, this upcoming report is the filmmakers are seeing in a lot of Nordic countries that have historically been quite good, globally speaking, at supporting children's culture and children's film, that, that there's less and less interest from the Film Institute. And, the, and there's not this understanding that this is a strategic investment in the industry's future. So there's this enormous disconnect between the success, artistic and commercial, of this film and the sort of understanding that we need to keep funding it and we need to support that. And that, that, that's the tr- potential transition into the teen audiences and the grown-up audiences. So I'm realizing we don't have a ton of time. Uh, so the kind of spoiler of the of the report is that in the final chapter, we do have one concrete recommendation. And that is that every country and region, fi- film fin- financing region, that doesn't already have a specifically a children's film strategy should make one and make sure that if they have one, that it's in that it's aligned with all of the other public funding initiatives and film cultural support initiatives that exist, um, so that we are all working towards the same goal of a sustainable film industry in the Nordics and in Europe and and in the world for every kind of film. And here is the point where I turn to you and say, what should we do next? Like, or do you have big or small ideas for for what? work needs doing uh, for this transition and these successes to translate into an adult film-loving audience. 
I think that working together uh, with all the wonderful people, the filmmakers, as you, Linda, but talking about this, sharing what we have experienced in Denmark. We have like a big uh, film club uh, system for children where 50,000 children are a part of these clubs all over the country. And I mean, I think that a lot of these different, there is a lot of people working with film and education in schools that we should talk more to each other and about the situation that we see. Because I think that in the Nordics, we are so fortunate that we have built some systems and maybe we are just taking them for granted. Maybe we should revisit them and find out what their power actually is. I think what you said, Linda, about counting the number of viewers, not only in the cinema, but also in the educational streamings that uh, there are going in the schools, all these numbers. So we don't have a story about that children's films don't work because they work and they live, but they are under the radar. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think also that we need to hook up with all those people that do in the, uh, a society that makes a culture for children, because it's, I mean, there is like excellent TV shows that makes, you know, the, the Swedish television and others are making really great TV shows. And they have a lot of like, for us, we have in Sweden something called a uh, Christmas calendar mm -hmm. for, you know, and, and that all of uh, has like a huge that, yeah. audience. Yeah, all of the Nordics do. And I think the exposure should be that we speak about more the importance of children uh, culture again. As you said, Mariella, we had the, the system in Sweden and Norway and the Nordic countries are really great of having children country culture and being very strong at content too. We, I mean, all of us are very famous in the Nordic countries for having like these big writers that authors that are really, I mean, you should never ask the, ask the Lingen if she wanted to make a, for, for grown ups. It's like she's an icon of making it for children and Tove Johnson as well. And, and I think it's, I think it's, that's how we should start to talk about children, uh, culture and filmmakers and, and, uh, and, uh, those who makes, you know, uh, uh, art and uh, culture for kids that the, the, you know, it's not something you transfer. It's something you love to do. And, and that's what you should maintain if you like to, of course. And, and it's also the importance of that because that will be our stories from our kids and your, for their grown ups and so on. So it also, it's an important thing for, for how society will be, you know, remembered, I think, for the future. So it's also a historic thing, which, which is important, I think. Many filmmakers and producers in particular that I spoke to are, have said that uh, there's a challenge with the, all of this comp content that we're competing against in that the budgets would kind of, e budgets for every kind of children's film should need to get higher. And the one way of yes. maybe doing that would be to call or to, to compete in that sort of audiovisual quality uh, with Hollywood for it, typically, uh, would be to collaborate in the Nordics. And I noticed, Linda, that you did, in fact, uh, for, for the ape star, uh, that you it's a collaboration between Nordic Animation Studios. Did you learn something there? Is there something that could have been easier with co-production or something, something that you could recommend for us? For that one, we work with, and, and that's in my upcoming film too, with Microfilm and Norlum. Microfilm in, in Norway and Norlum in Denmark. And those studios are very much having the same uh, uh, vision of what they like animation-wise. And they also are art house, but also want to go broad, uh, but still remaining art house one way. And uh, I think the, the, the good thing was that we, we work, all of us are small studios that work, but in a very uh, professional way. Uh, so, so we want to reach out to the whole world. I mean, it's, it's a internationally and we can do it together. I mean, if we join in like this and making, you know, animation, uh, within the Nordic countries together, then we can really strive for those goals to really go uh, far with our films internationally. And I think that's also important to see how, how we can, you know, hook up with people around us to, to do these bigger budget films. Because of, uh, as you say, we compete with the rest of the world, of course, with, if you compete with Pixar, they have a billion for the budget, you know, for, for the film. How could, it's very hard to compete when we have like not even 
<laughs> like one percent of that budget, you know, in one way, ten, five uh, percent maybe. I don't know. So, so I think it's a great way of, and I also think that we do. Of course, we can laugh at different things, but I don't think that the culture are very much different. It all depends on what kind of culture you like. If you're more into comic, then you, you, you know, you then you would hook up with other, you know, studios that are more into comic. But then you will have the same. So I think, I think it has been actually great. And we will continue with the, my next film to work on the way, that way too, because it's a, it was such a blast to do that, actually. That's wonderful. Okay, so we're running out of time. Uh, if you are, if uh, somebody who is listening is working on children's film strategy, I know uh, our listeners, of course, are everywhere. So this may be the case. Certainly in Denmark, there's work done on this this year in Sweden. We know that all of the national film policy is being redesigned. Uh, so there may be people listening who actually have some some input into these changes what would you what's a, one specific thing that you would want like the public sector public support to do for children's film i would say for like uh, in sweden there is only the, it's only like the mainly the film institute that could go in and really support and then you know some regional film funds such as uh, film west and and also uh, film pool nord and, and film scorn they can do uh, minor parts in that production but i think they already now have to uh, on their you know on their schedule to really uh, to to pr- provide uh, to priority children films and, uh, and but i think that the children commissioner at the funding institute for film institute need to have a, a larger budget because now uh, as we can see in the admissions uh, you know admission porch for sweden there is like the mainly audience is children so then i think really that they should put more money into the children commissioners uh, funding because of uh, there is only one person there and and then uh, that person have only one budget as the other so so i think as as it turns out that that the most important audience for the moment are actually children then we should put more money into the for the children commissioner yes yes amen to that mariella what's your recommendation my recommendation is uh, collaboration and i think also maybe education I mean, we don't have uh, schools for learning how to do children's films. And some of the commissioning editors that we have don't really have that much of a, a like, I think it's important that, that we have more knowledge on the area and it's more more people working together with the knowledge and share it. Because I think that sometimes the commissioning editors are very alone and they need uh, colleagues, like I need colleagues from my noise uh, uh, colleagues, that we work together and this will make the whole uh, children's film uh, area stronger. So we're talking now a lot from the filmmaker's perspective, but do you use input from, from younger viewers in your work at all? Linda? I think... The distribution and, and production and so on should, should worry about that. Me as a filmmaker, when I go into direction, I, I just do the film I have in my head. It's like, it's like working, you know, doing art. And I, I can't really think about the audience, to be honest, because then it's easy to, 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 uh, it's like a teacher shouldn't ask the, the, it shouldn't ask the students what, how they should, uh, you know, teach out math. They can be, you know, after they have teach, they can, if you, they see the audience didn't understand anything, then you have to do revision. But I think it's very important that the children, I mean, there is so many now that uh, I, I heard from uh, Netflix, for instance, that they do, they have, they have their test audiences. And if, if the interest goes down just a bit, that you would not have a review. Well, they can say exactly at the, you know, for episode number two at the 18 sec, 18 minutes in, then the audience were gone. And I just, I want to make an example, for instance, with the, I saw Queda's Monster, you know, that film, fantastic film that was in Cannes. And that, have you seen the film Monster? Yes. Or, 
No, but that film is like, uh, it, it's a very normal story that, uh, I'm just doing it quickly now. It's a very normal story that the, 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 uh, it's a, a guy, it's a, a boy that you think get bullied at school. But then how, uh, and if you would have a test audience to look at that, then they would say, and also in the script, they could say it's like the first third of the movie could be general, boring, or whatever. But then it kind of grows up to this, you know, onion, you peel it off, and it becomes one of the masterpieces of the whole entire last year season. And therefore, I think it's so important that the, the filmmakers should, for kids as well, should not be, you know, watch, looking so much of how the rates are, because sometimes you just need to get into the story and you get hooked. And, and it's not important that everybody loves it, but it's important that those who loves it really, really loves it. I think that's how art is. Yeah, and that kind of storytelling you kind of can't do in streaming. Uh, exactly. Because exactly. because you, it's too easy to switch to something else. Exactly. And we know also, I actually, we talked about it on a previous yes. episode of this podcast, that that does not work with young audiences. Yeah, exactly. But when you are in the cinema, you are mm -hmm. on that journey, and then it's a contract that you will see sit through the yes. film and see where it takes you. And that's very interesting. That's very interesting specifically for the theatrical yes. space. And that we need to keep, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What about you, Mariella? Do you, do you uh, work with young people uh, in your processes? Yeah, I mean, I sometimes have films where I feel like my age when I watch them. And I'm like, I don't know if they're going to like this one. I don't know if I like it. Uh, but maybe they will like it for something else than me. I'm really not sure about this film. And then we have some panels that I ask and screen films for, and we ask them some questions. And I tell them, I don't really understand this part, or it annoys me, or whatever. And they say, Mariela, listen, it's like this, and this, and this. <laughs> and they explain to me, and then I always feel wiser afterwards. Um, so I think uh, I I'm really in for the uh, audience development, actually. I think uh, it it uh, it's not for all filmmakers, but for some filmmakers, it's a good tool. And I think that the children are so good at describing uh, what's going on. And, and sometimes you can also say to them, you know, you don't like that character, but he's allowed to be there. You have to accept him. I mean, it's not like you take away all the things they don't like. And I also think that we have a challenge with everything being so curated to exactly this age or this age and they don't watch so much together anymore so i think that sometimes the discussion ends up in that that maybe this is not for you but for somebody a little younger a little older than you and then they're like maybe so i like this uh, audience development thoughts i like it but i i just want to add that i also like to have the discussion but I also think it's important. Most important thing is that you can think you can like differently. Some, some, you know, some of the kids would love it, and some, and you don't, and you can all be in the same target group. But and that's also I think it's important now, especially now with all this TikTok and everything, that everybody should like everything the same. But that's the variety is like the key uh, to learn kids to know we cannot be streamlined. We can think about differently. And that's what art is. Some people love it and some people hate it. But then you can have the discussion of what's interest you. It's really interesting what you're saying, actually, because also because TikTok in particular, because it works differently than most of the other platforms in that it becomes really good, really fast at showing you things that are specifically for you. So you're there you're maybe not watching the things everybody likes, but the, everybody's showing you the things, only the things that you like, which is kind of even more scary. So, so then part of film culture and part of the task of film culture becomes to teach children that you don't have to like everything you see and that having that discussion about why is part of the experience of the film. The journey of watching the film doesn't is not just the watching, it's also the anticipation and the fandom and all of those things that they know, but also disagreeing and analyzing and being able to verbalize what you didn't like. And maybe that's a part where we haven't, we've lost that a little bit, film culturally more broadly, and that's something where we could 
we as festivals, we as industry, we as filmmakers could really do interesting work, I think. That's what we call the bildel. I mean, it's called yeah. dennels in Danish. We call it that. And this is why I'm sometimes a little worried about all the educational screenings going on because the teachers often have like, there's one message in this film and I know what the message is. And and uh, you have to keep it open so the children can decide for themselves what is really the point of this film or this character. And, and some children will like one character and some will like another and that's fine. Um, and I think that that worries me sometimes that it gets so educational because we have to leave space for art. Ask more questions. Not give so many messages, but to ask more open questions. It's so damn hard. It's so damn hard to do. Uh, but yeah. And also even in the home that we can start that there, you know. Maybe even with our friends, you know, actually. To just rekindle the conversation around film uh, is wonderful when that that happens, right? If I also get to make one wish, uh, it is to the industry listeners more broadly, and it is just watch a children's film from your country. <laughs> just You might fall in love. Uh, this is a field that's also, you know, in a difficult market. This is a field that is doing well, uh, and there might be more work in children's film going forward if everything goes well. And you will be surprised at what kinds of stories can be told there. Thank you so much, uh, Linda Hambeck and Mariella Haplund Jensen. If you'd like to read the noise report on children's film, and of course you do, you can find it on the Booster Film Festival's website. That's noise spelled N-O-J-S-E and Booster spelled B-U-S-T-E-R. We'll link to it in the show notes, don't worry. This season of Industry Insights is produced in cooperation with the Goethe Institute and co-funded by Creative Europe Media. And this episode has been developed in partnership with the Göteborg Film Festival. Do keep listening to Industry Insights. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts and on the website of the European Film Market, www.efm-berlinale.de. That's www.efm-berlinale.de. Thanks for tuning in. Bye.